0: I think so. Your, your co-hosts. Your co-hosts, your talking partners, uh, Michael Becker, Director of Operations here at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in the beautiful, sunny, currently, Salisbury, North Carolina, and as always, Father John Eckert, the wonderful pastor here at Sacred Heart in Salisbury, North Carolina. And as always, we're going to go ahead and start with a
1: prayer. Father, I'll hand that over to you. Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gift of our faith. We ask you to help us to continue to grow in our awe and wonder at the great mystery of your love, that you continue to unfold for us day by day, and especially during the season of Lent, as we prepare to celebrate the Paschal Mystery, we celebrate the Triduum, we celebrate your resurrection, your overcoming sin and death, and recognizing as always that the light has come into the world and that the darkness has not overcome it. I ask you to help us to be open to all the different things that you wish to teach us today as we meditate on these paragraphs of the Catechism, to take them to heart, and to be able to share the great treasure of our faith with all of those whom we encounter here at Sacred Heart, throughout the Diocese, and beyond, wherever we listen to and meditate upon these words. And we ask this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother, Mary, Seat of wisdom, as we pray. Hail Mary. Full Holy of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and, and blessed is, is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, God. pray for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our God. death. Amen. Amen. most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on and us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. In Amen. the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: Just to make sure there's nothing important. Nope. Um, well, thank you so much for that, Father. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, before we get to the Catechism, which I have to say, the timing of our Catechism paragraphs just keep getting better and better. How much better could we be diving right into the Resurrection and the Ascension and the Descent of the Holy Spirit coming up here
1: as we're growing ever closer to Easter? We're like a week and a half out from Palm Sunday uh, 2022 as we record this, and it's Palm Sunday of year C, which means that in the gospel before the mass in Spanish, Jesus is going to ask the apostles to go into town and to get him a burrito, which I'm very excited about. It's the only time we get to hear the word burrito in sacred scripture, which means little donkey, and that's only in the Spanish. Version. I was going to say, for those of you who are
0: not Spanish scholars
1: out there, no. burro donkey, you can add ito to the end of just about anything yeah, like, to make it little. Like uh, So often, like it's like the diminutive. So if someone's trying to say, like, Really kind things to me as a priest, to say like, "Oh, padrecito," like "Oh, little father," or if you know, like in uh, in English, uh, what my grandparents used to call me was Johnny or Johnny Jim, and uh, in Spanish that'd be Juanito. So the little form. So a little donkey would be a burrito, which is just great. I'm just it's fun to get to say the word burrito liturgically. <laughs> I'm sure. So it's a good reason to come to the twelve thirty mass on. April the
0: tenth. Yeah, come to a you know, hour and a half mass in order to hear Father say one word within the first ten minutes. You know? If anybody's like me, they may just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually that would be something <laughs> I, I would know. do too. I know. I gotta That's come here burrito, like, yeah. so we're going to the Spanish So We're gonna do today. that
1: and then we're gonna go to go burrito after mass. It's gonna be wonderful. Fantastic. Which quite frankly is one of my routines anyway. After the twelve thirty Mass that is a go to when we're out of Lent, when I have not given up meat. that was. Are you a regular Go Burrito on Sunday? Oh, yeah. Very frequently. Mm. It's funny because after the Mass in Spanish at 1230, I'm usually in the mood for some sort of a, you know, Mexican sort of flair. and the Burrito is that. I either like uh, Go Burrito or um, Monterey after the mm. 1230 Mass. And usually I'm not up for really cooking much because I'm, And my wife would be all about that. Good thing we don't come to the Spanish Mass. Or we would be
0: joining you probably a little too often. I think you should. And my pocketbook would be (laughs) pretty slim. And you'd have to pay me more more to cover all that. (laughs) Which I understand. I mean, that may be an expense we have to just take on. Uh, (laughs) Sunday burritos. For the parish. I didn't say that. He did. Um, But before we dive into the catechism, we have something unique going on here at Sacred Heart that we haven't done in a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a... Lenten, I guess you can call it Lenten, it is during Lent. Yeah. A Lenten parish mission coming up on April 7th and April 8th. Um, and I don't know why we haven't done a lot of parish missions. Probably because most parish missions are about bringing people in mm-hmm. and, you know, getting people to come in and talk, which obviously we could do, but we're too cheap for that. So we just hired ourselves and <laughs> we're just going to do it ourselves. But I think we're excited about this parish yeah, mission. Yeah, absolutely. So we have, let me give you a little sneak peek. For those of you watching, we have some ideas, that, ideas that are in motion about our parish and how to make our parish even better than it already is.
1: It's a we don't, pretty great place. We don't like to sit
0: on our laurels, even though there's a lot of reasons to sit on our laurels. We are, do, I think this place is amazing.
1: Oh, it's so the, great. The
0: parishioners, the parish, the priest, everything the in The director Bequire. of operations. Oh, you don't have to up. <laughs> um, is has been going super, super well and we've, come a long way in the time that we've been here. But we have this idea, we have this new idea and we're going with the idea, but we want to share it with you all. So we actually are going to have four parish missions. So seventh and eighth will be kind of a combo one. So that's kind of two, Uh, 630 on the seventh and on the eighth. And that's going to kind of introduce where we're going in the future. And then at the beginning of June, you know, right around Pentecost, we were thinking, you know, Lent and Pentecost mission. We'll do another one, same kind of format. And that time, it'll be Wednesday and Thursday, so Thursday Friday. Another hour, and that's when we will pitch this new idea, this, these new happenings that are coming to Sacred Heart that we are very excited about. So, you don't want to miss it. We're asking everyone to come. Bring everyone. Tell other people to come. Get your family, get your friends, get the whole parish to be involved in this. We want to, obviously, pack the church as much as we can because this is something that Father... Is really pitching to the parish, and as his
1: director of operations, I have to go along with it. I can't, I can't turn him down because then he wouldn't pay me. So basically, uh, you know, as I was kind of alluding to a little bit in the prayer, and was thinking ahead to our witty banter at this point, you know, we have uh, such an incredible gift in our faith. But if anybody listens to like, Bishop Robert Barron, he talks about this a lot about the problem of the nuns of people that are just sort of like falling away from the faith. And an issue is, it's like you see this happening all over the place, and uh, we're really trying to kind of get at the bottom of okay, what is the problem, and what are we going to do to try to make sure we're fixing it? I mean, we do have an incredible place, and I want the whole world to to come and to see how good the Catholic Church is. Obviously, the whole world doesn't live in Rolling County. I don't just mean right here. But what are we going to do here to make sure that we're handing on the faith and? That we are inviting everyone who comes to these doors to have a strong, um, faith-filled, uh, just rock-solid relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And everything we can do to kind of get everybody on board with that and to make that happen. And you know, as I've sort of stated before, my ultimate goal um, is to make this place a saint factory. You know, I mean, that's that's what we want is for everybody to... to and I was just going to say, for everybody to get to heaven, you know what, I don't even know if that's the right phrase. Not just get to heaven, but like to like joyfully like march toward heaven and bring everybody else on board with them. Because get to heaven sounds like you're barely going to cross the finish line. So, I mean, striving to become a saint doesn't mean it's easy. But the beautiful thing is, is when we have the rich treasure of the faith and we guard it up against all of the different slings and arrows that come at us in this life, well, then you can take that treasure with you into the depths of whatever may come. And so, like, the glories of the resurrection can still be alive and strong in the middle of a starvation bunker in Auschwitz, you know? So it's like, it doesn't matter what's coming your way. As long as you are attached to Jesus Christ at the very depths of your being, then, as St. John Paul II reminds us, and our kids scream now at every Mass, and I just about, like, lost my eardrums this morning. It it was quite loud. Wow. Do not be afraid. You know, and and the thing is, like, that's not just a catchphrase. And um, it's it's a philosophy by which to live that is rooted on the rock-solid foundation of the resurrection. And so, um, you know, Michael and I are going to be spending some time just making sure it's like, okay, we get this time and mission, and then what are we going to do as a parish to make sure that we are handing this on? And addressing, you know, I mean, we're part of the culture. I'm part of the culture. You're part of the culture. I mean, we know that there are challenges out there and difficulties. And, okay, what do we need to kind of reshift on and make a little bit different? And, you know what, we all have to be in this together. So I'm really excited to get to spend this time. And like the two of us are going to talk for a while. And I think we're going to try to have some time for Q&A a little bit. We'll have our beautiful church open, just some time for prayer. And uh, yeah, we're blessed to have what we have and let's figure out the way to make sure that we get more people in and live it well ourselves and yeah, just keep it going.
0: And as Father hinted at, this requires everyone to be on board. This requires everyone to participate in your baptismal call to be priest, prophet, and king, to go out there and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And by living as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be intentionally
1: yeah, bringing people
0: along with us to heaven, but in some ways, you're going to bring people along even unintentionally, just the way you live your life. So, but we want that intentional mindset of how can we better not only be saints ourselves, but make sure that our brother and sister and neighbor are becoming saints also.
1: Absolutely, and the, the beautiful thing about that intentional aspect too is it doesn't look exactly the same for everybody. You know, that's an important thing I think about, like that that universal call to holiness it's not just like, oh, it's just the priest. I mean, even the priests do things differently. I love to give him a hard time. Um, my dear friend, Father Rossi, but thank God we're different people. and We come about things in a different way. And I know I used this example in a homily a long time ago, but like there was one time he was out to eat at a restaurant in town that is rather small. And like he and his mom overheard someone else talking and they sort of like jumped into the conversation and they started having a really good time and all this. And before you know it, that gentleman is now a very faithful practicing Catholic and here all the time. In that situation, like it's it, it was a blessing from God I wasn't there because like just that jumping into somebody else's conversation, I'd rather crawl crawl under the table and die. But you know, but Father Rossi, like that's that's his way, and thank God that it is. I mean, you know, our Lord calls us all and uses our gifts and characteristics, and so the question is, how do we use all these gifts and characteristics in the parish? To make sure that all of us, in our own particular way, are handing on the rich truth of the glory and the treasure of the gospel to all the people who come through our doors. So it's good stuff. Right. I should have shut off my phone before this, but it's, it's all good. in my
0: pocket, so it's less audible. And <laughs> going one more point before we get to the Please. catechism. As you said, it's different for everyone. And that's why the lives of the saints are so interesting. absolutely. Every single saint has a different story to tell of how they stormed the gates of heaven with their prayers and with their lives. The lives of sinners are boring. They are. Right? This is why confession is boring. Don't ask me. I don't hear confessions. Ask him. Um,
1: Because there's nothing new. The exciting part is when people are reconciled to God. The sinful part, you know, that like makes money in like advertising and social media and all that, it's all the same. That's why it has to keep being repackaged. And, you know, it's like you need a bigger hit every time and all this kind of stuff. The life of holiness and being in a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is not boring. And you can see the way, you know, that He enters into each life and how. You know, in, in each particular life, how it can blossom and grow. You know, in a way, that's going to be different than it is from this person. And obviously, there are some similar strains, but all in all, like just to see the way that God works with the individual, where they are, and building things up. I mean, I alluded to St. Maximilian Kolbe before, but you know, there, there's just there's so many different saints and different types of saints, and they're joy filled. It's like true, rich, and glorious diversity. Where sin eventually just becomes monotonous and gross because, you know, um, the devil can't create, he can only corrupt. And so that's what we see, you know, in so many things. But, you know, if you're finding yourself like wallowing in sin, that's not a, a critique on you. That's not what you're created for. Your sin is not your identity. You're created in the image and likeness of God. He wants you to be his son and daughter. We're gonna get to some of that too, which could be awesome. Um, you know, to think about the fullness of what's coming, the glories that are there. Wow. It's just, it's so good. And I think it's a sign of just like the sadness of our time that people get bored with the faith and then just don't show up. Well, we don't want that to happen. And so it's like, hey, let's, let's figure out the way that all of us can hand this on as best as we possibly can. And so you don't get bored. We'll see you on April 7th and April 8th. There you go. Right here in
0: the church. Make sure to come on out.
1: It'll be lovely.
0: It'll be great. And it's, it's, we're going to keep it to an hour. Yeah. Like one hour of your time. And this time of year, too, it'll still be light when it's all done. Exactly. Take your kids out to the playground afterwards. Yeah. Go socialize outside. Go take a walk and talk about all the wonderful things that we just talked about. Or don't. That's fine, too.
1: bring your kids along. Because if there's one thing I know, it's the two of us can keep talking even if the kids are making a little noise. And, in fact, we appreciate the little bit of noise because it shows we're alive. Yeah, I have a lot of experience with that. You do. And Father does, too, because my kids are at Mass. And I love that. (laughs) And then we get to give each other high fives at the end of Mass, and it's just glorious, and everybody's happy. Okay, my kids can't my kids have to go through lines now and give you
0: high five. That that is part of the routine now of leaving church, which I think is kind of your intention. It is. And I love that. (laughs) Because I want to see them too. It's great. Okay. So diving in, we're gonna start at 651, because that just makes sense. So as we have been talking about for the past couple months now, we've kind of been talking about we've been talking about Jesus Christ in his Incarnation, why he became man, why he died on the cross for us, and now kind of following along with his life, and as we alluded to at the beginning, the resurrection. Easter is coming very soon, and we're going to celebrate in a small way the resurrection by talking about it today. So first of all, we have to understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. This isn't some just nice little party trick that God threw in at the end. The resurrection was necessary in order for us to be saved. Because it's one thing to die on the cross and to pay back reparation for our sins, but the problem that we have is that then death would still be a thing. So by Jesus rising from the dead, he conquered not only sin through his death on the cross, but he conquered death because death could not even hold
1: Christ back. And I gotta say, and just because, and I think I've talked about this in a homily before too, but paragraph 651, the allusion there to 521, which is a quote from 1 Corinthians there in, in St. Louis, the great big basilica there, it has the most mosaics in the world actually, which is really kind of a cool fact that the church of the most mosaics in the world is in the United States. But there's like a side alcove that goes around like this And it says from 1 Corinthians, if Christ is not risen, your faith is in vain. The hard thing is, is it's really hard to see the word if. So like you have to be like standing in this alcove to see it. And it looks like it says Christ is not risen. Your faith is in vain. So but the the thing is, it's important about that is, I mean, that is a true statement with that if in there. It's that central. It's not like, oh, this is a nice thing to think about. It's in a spiritual sense, or oh it's just... No, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. If he's not, we're the most pitiable of people. Like they're just this doesn't make any sense and all that. But no, he is risen from the dead. And you know, as that, as that paragraph goes on, what all truths, even those most inaccessible to human reason, find the justification of Christ by his resurrection is given the definitive proof of his divine authority. Which he had promised. Um, this wasn't just a brief flash in the pan two thousand years ago. He's a great teacher, no? Like that's now this. Like he rose from the dead. This is the central mystery of our faith, and that's why we go on to celebrate it for fifty days after spending forty days in Lent. I mean, this is this is central.
0: And so this affirms everything that he said, right? In mm-hmm. six fifty three, the resurrection of the crucified ones shows that he was truly I am. The son of God in God himself. So it kind of puts a final statement of, hey, everything that I said has meaning and is real. And what I always like to think about, no other prophet or teacher or anyone has ever done that. No. This is unique. No one else can say, oh, in my religion, this person rose from the dead at the end. Now, that's that's not how that works. It's never happened. But the fact that Christ did rise from the dead, he defeated death, puts the emphasis on that, and in 655, right, his resurrection also shows us that we will also participate in that resurrection, with the resurrection of the body, as we'll learn about later on in the the catechism, we'll talk about that more, but that gives us hope, and it's the principal reason why we
1: believe in our resurrection at the second coming as well. Absolutely. And even one of the in brief paragraphs, 656, faith in the resurrection has as its object an event, which is historically attested to by the disciples who really encountered the risen one. And just you know, I mean, you can keep going on that too, but that's crucial there too. Um, when you think about the historical evidence, it is very well historically attested to. So it's one of those things, if you have like skeptical friends, like, ah, this was all made up by some. There are so many ways that this is better attested to than I think even the fact that George Washington was our first president. I mean, it's like we are so strong on this. And the other thing I'll say, because this was sort of a game changer for me when I was in seminary, we had an afternoon conference by one of my favorite professors, Dr. John Colbeau, and he was talking about the resurrection, like, well, how do you know that the resurrection is true? And his answer, Paul. He's like Saint Paul makes absolutely no sense if Jesus is not risen from the dead. You think about Saul on his way to persecute the Christians, and he has that unique encounter with Christ, you know, on the road. He's struck blind, you know, knocked from his high horse, although I don't think it ever says he's actually on the horse. Anyway, but you know, he's blinded for a while. But the fact that, you know, as he goes or Ananias comes to him, to scale Saul from his eyes, the fact that his life is then all in for Christ. And I even was quoting him earlier from his letter to the Corinthians. I mean, like, he makes no sense without the resurrection. And quite frankly, neither neither do the other disciples. But Paul is just like, he's such a historical anomaly. Um, Anyway, but like, you know, the resurrection is true, or he makes absolutely no sense. Perfect. And that
0: kind of finishes up the resurrection. So if you want more on the resurrection, go listen to our conversation last time about paragraphs 600 to 650. We talked about it more there. But then we move into the next part, right? The ascension and being seated at the right hand of the Father. So remember, we're going through the creed, right? Specifically the Apostles' Creed. So this is kind of the next point of the creed that we're getting into. And so this is this is really the last thing that we see from Christ in his earthly ministry. When he ascends into heaven, so he rose from the dead. And we he appears to the apostles. He appears to a whole <coughs> bunch of disciples. He's around for forty days, right? Mm-hmm. As we celebrate after Easter, leading up to Pentecost, and forty days from Easter, then you get the ascension. But then the Easter season continues another week-ish until we get to Pentecost. Um, Which
1: that ascension to Pentecost is nine days. Nine days, and that's where the novena comes from.
0: Anyway, so we have to understand that this the. The final thing that we get from Jesus Christ is the apostles watching him, body and soul that we've seen in the resurrection, right? Ascending to heaven to be with his Father. And that is, that's it. That's all we get from Christ in his earthly ministry in this way. Now obviously, seated at the right hand of the Father, he's still very much present in the Eucharist, but with him being present on earth in that way. His done. sight is
1: removed from yeah, by a cloud. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. And this is so important, right? Because this is us knowing that Christ is now with the Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. And that he has taken up that throne as the king of heaven and earth and that he is there basically waiting to receive us. Receive us and waiting to return again.
1: And I would say too, like, and not just waiting as though it's some sort of a passive thing, it's like he's seated on his throne. And helping, you know, like directing history. I mean, I yeah. like the, um, you know, there's some different liturgical aspects of like um, Corpus Christi came about because we need a longer meditation on the Eucharist, than we get just on Holy Thursday, and like the Feast of Christ the King came about because we need a longer meditation on Him being seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, to you know, like to meditate on Christ the King of the universe. So like He is seated at the right hand of the Father that He is you know, overseeing things as they go, that He is our King, that He is present to us always. And so even though it's like He's removed from sight, and you know, He even says to Mary Magdalene, you know, after the resurrection, don't hold on to me, I've not yet ascended to my Father and to your Father. Okay, yes, we have a different way now of interacting, of being with Him. But when you think about that, the fact that we're going to get to the fact that He sends forth the Advocate, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, that He can be there with us with all of us in a you know in a new way than he could during his public ministry during his earthly life, so it's like you know now we get to encounter him each of us individually in the sacraments. I um, mean, you think about it, it's like we kind of say sometimes like, oh, if only there were more priests to hear all these confessions. Well, at least it's not like well, there's just one. You know, we just have to go see Jesus in the Holy Land to get our sins forgiven. Like the way that he has brought about the sacramental ministry. I mean, still, we've got it really good that any of us can go to confession. I got to go to confession on Monday night because I went to help out at a penance service in Gastonia. and you know, it's like just how beautiful it is to know that we can encounter him one by one like we do. Exactly.
0: Um, and actually, that's a very short kind of article on yeah. the ascension. Um, and then we get into, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And there's... A good bit more on this one, which is kind of, kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, because the ascension itself, it lends to so many other things, right? The ascension is in itself important, but it's important because of everything that kind of spills out after the ascension. So, as Father said, he's not just kind of waiting and resting there and going, all right, mm-hmm. anytime now. Yeah. He's <laughs> actively participating in our salvation, um, in leading us to salvation, which is actually very important with this judging of the living and the dead because we see in 669, as as Lord, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Christ dwells on earth in his church. So we see that Christ is still present within the church. But why is he still present in the church? Ultimately, to help us get to heaven. This is the ordinary means by which we enter heaven is through the church. And through the church is how we are also going to be prepared for the time when judgment does come. This is when we come to know Jesus Christ. This is how we come to know him through his church. But this is also how we get our sins forgiven, as Father alluded to with going to confession. But this is also how our sins are retained and how we could also fail by not serving the church. So the church, so Jesus Christ is intimately connected with the church as his body because
1: this is how we are supposed to be living out the faith within the church absolutely and he provides for that and he knows what's going on Um, hey let's read 672 go for it since the ascension God's plan has entered into its fulfillment we are already at the last hour which I find you know it's an important thing to remember already the final age of the world is with us and the renewal of the world is irrevocably underway it is even now anticipated in a certain real way for the church on earth is endowed already with a sanctity that is real but imperfect. Christ's kingdom already manifests its presence through the miraculous signs that attend its proclamation by the church. And I just think those sort of things, like in, in that last paragraph, 669, you know, we heard that you know Christ dwells on earth in his church. You know, the redemption is the source, the authority, that Christ, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, exercises over the church. So I know sometimes it's easy to get nervous or upset about, oh my gosh, what's going on with the church? The church is falling apart. Okay, we have to do our part there's no guarantee that Sacred Heart Parish will last for another 140 years right here. Although we're having a parish mission next week to try to make sure that it does and keep it going, you know, and make sure that people are on board and intentional and there and fully on, you know, fully in love with Christ. However, it's like he, he doesn't abandon his church. He promised us he would be with us always until the end of the age. He gave us the Holy Spirit for the guidance of the church. And sure, is she fallen? Is she imperfect? You know, in her human elements, yes. We see it all the time. I mean, you see it in me. I'm a fallen individual. But I also have the grace of having received the gift of holy orders and getting to be a priest. And uh, I was just talking about this earlier, about sort of like standing at the brink. You know, like when I'm celebrating Mass, like, you know, I'm I'm representing the people of God to God, and I'm representing God to His people. And it's 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 an interesting place to stand. I'll tell you that. Um, because we do live in a fallen world, but the good news is Christ knows what we need to continue on in this fallen world. He gives us everything we need. We just have to keep showing up and, and trusting him. But we know that the gates of the netherworld will not prevail against the church and that he is with his body, the church.
0: Exactly. And that is very much why we are so intent on waiting for his coming again, right? That... His reign and his church is still under attack by the devil, as it alludes to in 671, right? And this is why we are always talking about Christ coming again and why we believe that, and we have to believe that his coming is soon, is imminent. I mean, the early Christians thought he was coming back like the next day. I mean, Paul, the way he speaks is like, give up every worldly thing because Christ is coming basically tomorrow. And actually, if I'm correct, he actually softens his language a little bit as he writes because he realizes, oh, maybe not tomorrow. You know, maybe this isn't like coming in the next couple of weeks. It's a little bit more in the future than they even realize.
1: Yeah, and especially like the Thessalonians. That's one of the, and if I'm not mistaken, Thessalonians is written in like the year 54. And remember, Jesus died in about 33 to 36, right around there. So when you're talking really quickly. And they were starting to get worried because people were, you know, some folks were passing away, as happens. And uh, it's like, but wait, you know, what's going to happen to them? And that's where you get, like, the whole section about, you know, being caught up in the clouds and those who have died first and all that. But the big thing is, like, we all know, like, you don't know when your life is going to come to an end. And so the important thing that we have to do in this life is live recognizing that, you know, the life to come, that our life with Christ is the most important thing that there is. And remember, he doesn't take everything else away. In fact, he gives it all back. But you don't want to have anything else take the place of our Lord because then all of a sudden it becomes an idol and it cannot satisfy you, you know? It's like I I cannot make my niece and my nephews who I love like the absolute center of my existence because they're not made for that. They can't satisfy me like that forever and ever, you know? Just like you can't make a physical thing I can't make beer the center of my existence like yes I enjoy it I enjoy talking about it I enjoy the process but it's gonna let me down the big beautiful thing is you put God at the center his eternal life and love and the fact that he's actively looking after you he's there he's ascended into heaven he sits at the right hand of the Father you put him at the center everything else has a way of falling right back into place Um, The devil tries to pull us away from that, and we're going to talk about a little bit of the the trial coming, Um, but remember, you know, ultimately our goal is to be unified with our Lord, and he makes that possible through the church. And we're hoping to be
0: unified with our Lord in his second coming. Also, before we move on to the the trials, because I think these are some really interesting paragraphs here. Oh, absolutely. Um, But this is also why, at Orientum, why that was a a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because we, we Christ is revealed that he will come from the east, right? That he will rise from the east at his second coming. So the whole reason that traditionally we would face east is to wait for that coming, thinking the coming is imminent. As it says in 673, right? Since the ascension, uh, since the ascension, Christ's coming in glory has been imminent even though it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed for his own authority. So we always need to be ready, whether it's death or whether Christ is coming again, we need to be ready. And so I think it's just important, even in understanding the symbolism of us facing each, which we actually do with our church. Most churches are not oriented like ours, but...
1: There are some very smart people in building up our church, uh, <laughs> not either, us. And you know the word "oriented" to is like li- literally means east, yeah, yeah to, so to the east, like growing towards the east.
0: So once you understand the symbolism of it, that during the mass we're obviously looking at the Eucharist and uh, Christ's body and blood that He gave to us in, at the Last Supper, but we also know that there's really even something greater that Christ has promised us, which is eternal perfection, unity with Him. Which, why wouldn't we be anticipating that at mass as
1: well? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, just in you know, in the way that he chooses to be present with us, you know, under the form of bread and wine, like he he chooses to be to, like in a, in a way of like like satisfying what we need, you know, even just like that he comes to us as food is an amazing thing. And just in a little bit of the scripture study I was doing preparing for the homily last week talked about the fact that when Moses and, like, the elders were in the tent with our Lord. And it said something about, like, they ate and drank, but, like, there was no mention of food. It was, like, just the very glory of the Lord, like, satisfied them. Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. I need to look into that more. I can't, like, cite all sorts of stuff. But, you know, when you think about that, it's like, He is our fulfillment. And now, granted, the devil's good at pulling us away in all sorts of different ways. Um, and, like, getting us to delay on going to be with him in prayer you know, and just, ah, you really actually need this, and this is more, you know, those sort of things happen, and we all fall, you know, fall into that trap, but the beautiful thing is, like, he's there, and he's offering it to us all the time, and, you know, we keep asking for this purification to be there and be ready for it, so.
0: And he also recognizes, and, you know, Jesus is not one to mince his words, right, Mm -hmm. he's very clear that it's not going to be easy. And we actually get a little bit of like, it's the title is The Church's Ultimate Trial, which is pretty intense there. Yeah, and remember
1: ultimate means last too.
0: Mm -hmm. Ultimate, the final trial of kind of this, you know, end times, what will this look like? And I know our Protestant brothers and sisters have a very flourishing theology about this there. That's very, maybe more animated than ours is. Um, Actually, Teddy Charles, uh, did an RCIA class the other day about the Protestant understanding of the end times no. and why it's totally kind of off the rails, which was very interesting. And I appreciate Teddy uh, going over that, He's going good over that guy. with us. I love Teddy. Um, Teddy, if you're watching, thank you for doing that. I learned a lot, and I appreciate it greatly. Um, but I mean, we have three paragraphs about this, which th- isn't
1: a whole lot. Now, let's just read all three. I think it's worthwhile. Uh, do, it's you, do, you wanna, like,
0: yeah, do you want to like alternate here? Yeah,
1: I'll take 675, and then you jump in on 676. Got it. Before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception, offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-messianism, which means like uh, a fake messiah, by which man glorifies himself, in place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh.
0: 676. The Antichrist's deception already begins to take shape in the world every time the claim is made to realize within history that messianic hope, which can only be realized beyond history, through the eschatological judgment. The church has rejected even modified forms of this falsification of the kingdom to come under the name of millenarianism. I have no idea what that is. Especially the intrinsically perverse political form of secular
1: messianism. So millennialism. I think it's like it has something to do with like at the end of this millennium, this happens or something like that. If I'm not mistaken. We'll to Sorry, we didn't do more prep on
0: that. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, we've got a, We've got a citation which I don't even know what DS
1: is. What one? Do you know what that? You read it. I'll look it up. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> so six seventy-seven. The Church will enter the glory of the kingdom only through this final Passover. When she will follow her Lord in his death and resurrection. The kingdom will be fulfilled then not by a historic triumph of the church through a progressive ascendancy, but only by God's victory over the final unleashing of evil, which will cause his bride to come down from heaven. God's triumph over the revolt of evil will take the form of the last judgment after the final cosmic upheaval of this passing world. And I just think this too, but about like the kingdom will be fulfilled then not by a historic triumph of the church through a progressive ascendancy. I think that's important to realize. Like Basically, folks, what our Lord wants is fidelity to the gospel. It's like uh, uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta would say. You know, God doesn't ask you to be successful. He asks you to be faithful. And so I think one of the biggest things we have to recognize you know, in our current age, in whatever our vocations may be, what God wants from us is to be faithful to our vocations, to our vows, to our promises, um, and not to buy into the devil's traps to try to get ahead in this world. You know, it's like, oh, you know, we have to do X for the glory of the church. We have to do X. You know, it's like eh, some shady practice, some way of getting ahead financially, some way of being more popular out there. No, I mean, what we're called to is to be faithful to Jesus Christ, to recognize that he stays in all this with us. That isn't always going to be popular, and it's definitely not always going to be easy to live out, but it's good, and ultimately it's like what we have to be is faithful to him all the way to the cross, not looking for some sort of historic triumph, because that's not what this is all about. Yeah, so all those books that say like,
0: hey, the end of time is coming because of X, Y, Z, and these things happen, and those things happen, and you do all the math, and it comes out with this. No. Yeah. Just no. I know that they're like bestsellers every single year, and someday, somebody
1: gonna,
0: yeah, they, somebody's eventually going to get it right if it comes out every single year. But yeah, I just look at those and go, wow. Yeah. They, come on, people. Use your gifts in a better way than to write books like this. I mean, Jesus is pretty clear. You do not know the day nor the hour. So
1: exactly. just let it go. And basically, so what do you have to do? I love it, like uh, when the uh, some disciples yell out and ask him, "Like, Lord, how many will be saved?" And he says, "Strive to enter through the narrow gate." You know, like that's what it is. Like, what do you have to do? Strive. Like, stop committing sin. The only thing you have to be afraid of is sin. You know, and uh, it's and it, it really, regardless of what's going on around us. Now, don't get me wrong, like we got to pray for the people in Ukraine right now, right? And I can't imagine if all of a sudden like, we start getting invaded and we find ourselves in a wartime, it would be horrible. It would be tough. But the same principles apply right here and now. It's like, what do you have to do? Avoid sin. Strive to be a saint. And you do that in, in peaceful times and in war times. You do that, you know, like good times and bad. Like, it's like the, the wedding vows hold regardless of what's going on around you. Like that's what we're called to. Because um, he never promises us that, hey, at this point, everything's just going to be peaceful and easy. I mean, Mary, in her warnings, you know, like at Fatima, You know, still, it's like, what do you have to do? Consecrate yourself to the Blessed Mother. Take advantage of the five first Saturday devotions. You know, like, there's a part you have to play, too. It's a lot easier to be like, oh, you know, the Vatican, they didn't do it again. They didn't do this right. I'm sure there's some reason that somebody has that, once again, the consecration of Russia is not... I mean, Pope John Paul II said he did it, and Sister Lucia said that heaven accepted it. I trust them. That was back in 1984. You know, the the nuclear program in Russia fell apart, so the Soviet Union. It takes a little bit of time. Okay, great. But what are you doing, too? It's like, okay, Pope did what he was supposed to do. What are you doing to make sure that you're clinging to Christ in day-to-day life, regardless of what may come? A long tangent.
0: No, and I think <laughs> it was a perfect tangent, because it leads right into the next part about Judging, judging the living and the dead mm-hmm. 678 I think is Fantastic in that It kind of gives us a very quick Snapshot of what we're going to be Judged on Yeah. Um, following in the steps of the prophets and John the Baptist Jesus announced the judgment Of the last day in his preaching Then will the conduct of each One in the secrets of hearts Be brought to light then will the The culpable culpable Unbelief that counted the offer of God's grace has nothing to be condemned. Our attitude about our neighbor will disclose acceptance or refusal of grace in divine love. On the last day Jesus will say, truly I say to you as you did to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. That sentence, your attitude about our neighbor will disclose acceptance or refusal of grace in divine love. I mean, it's right there. It's It's right there. Yeah. How are you treating your neighbor? The way you treat your fellow man is going to be the
1: acceptance or refusal of grace and divine love. Yeah. That's it. Okay, I want to tell a quick story because it's one of my favorites. And I've told you this before, but about Father John Allen. He gave us a a conference when I was in seminary. You just told me this the other day. I love this one. So Father John Allen, uh, he is the administrator at St. Matthew's in Charlotte. He was on faculty in the seminary when I was there. Uh, One time he gave us seminarians, a conference where he wrote on the board, kindness. And he said, gentlemen, he goes, with it, you can save a thousand souls. Without it, you'll be lucky to save your own. And I really love that line. Because the thing is, okay, kindness, it's different than being nice. Like, being nice is like, you know, the person's about to drive off a cliff, but I don't want to offend them, so I'm not going to say anything. It's like, No. Kindness is like, you know, you need to talk to someone and be like, hey, you need to consider the moral ramifications of what you're doing. And I tell you that Because I love you, and I'm ready to help you live the gospel message, to do what we got to do. Like, to come and bring someone the truth, but to deliver it to them on a, you know, like a beautiful, kind, silver platter, not to hit them over the head with it with a bat, you know? It's like we, we, we share the love and the truth of the faith as though we care about the person, not caring about winning the argument. I love winning arguments. I'm a very competitive person, but at the end of the day, it's like you got to remember you're dealing with individual people and it doesn't mean that you just sort of like, you know, oh, we're just not going to address the hard stuff. Now, sometimes I have a hard time with that. It's not easy to to go in there and address some of the hard stuff, but you got to do it if you love them, you know? And and love is not an easy thing. In fact, it's kind of a terrifying thing because love means what? You want what's best for them. And what's best for them is not to always just kind of continue down a path of selfishness which eventually becomes hellish, but to be able to say, I love you, and that's why I think we need to work through this annulment. I love you, and that's why I think you need to get to confession. I love you, and I'm gonna be there with you, I'm gonna walk through this with you. Okay, you're tempted by this. I get it. I'm gonna walk through it with you. You know, I'm here, let's talk. I'm gonna to try to be an accountability partner, like let's let's make this happen. And all of us are called to do this. And the other thing too, I think is important to kind of recognize, you know, our attitude about our neighbor will disclose acceptance or refusal. Guess what? Our neighbor, it's like our Lord, you know, oh well, who is my neighbor? Here's the story of the Good Samaritan, and you got some like, you know, racial, territorial, whatever going on. Guess what? Race and all this kind of stuff, at the end of the day, we're all creating the image and likeness of God. I don't care what the race or background of the person is in front of you, what side of the tracks they grew up on socioeconomic background, parental background, it doesn't matter. If they are a person, they need to be treated with love, respect, and dignity. It doesn't matter what baggage they're coming in with or what they look like, how many piercings they have, wherever. Although, I will say, I do like to say this, when someone is like covered in piercings and tattoos, like, you think you're countercultural? Check this out. You know? like, <laughs> like, I mean, come on. But doesn't really matter what they're coming with it's like okay you have to love the person in front of you you're not always gonna like them right out of the gate but you gotta love them and I mean what
0: father said about you know challenging people it happens a lot around here yeah I mean every single I mean almost every single person that walks into RCIA yeah we have to have a hard conversation because the Catholic faith is a little crazy yeah compared to what people see in the world and it's like okay you know, I'm going to tell you how it is because yeah. if you're going to embrace the Catholic faith, you got to know what it is. And to all my cradle Catholic brothers and sisters, right? Got two of them sitting right here. We've got to embrace it too, yeah. right? We, even though we've grown up in the faith the whole time, we have to be willing to do those hard things. And if you've got a cradle Catholic brother and sister that you think, oh, they went to Catholic school their entire lives, they know what? They probably don't. Yeah, unfortunately. Oh, unfortunately. They probably don't, and it might be you, with all charity and kindness, to go up to them and give them a small challenge, right? Give them a small, ask them the question that maybe nobody's been willing to ask them in a long time. Now, it's always easier to do it with somebody you don't know. That's why I love my job, because 90% of the people that walk into my office, <laughs> I have no idea who they are. Um, it's always harder to be a prophet in your your homeland,
1: um, Yeah. They even tried to remember that, too, though, because, like, they tried to throw Jesus off the brow of the hill. So, like, okay, that's the son of God who's having that kind of issue at home. So, you know, cut yourself some slack. Your brother's not always going to listen to you, but it doesn't mean you don't stop trying, you know, and, like, you got to keep praying and leaving the door open.
0: Yeah, so that was kind of a tangent, too,
1: but I like that tangent. Yeah, that was a good tangent. Yeah. One of our better ones, I think. (laughs) We'll find out. We'll ask Maria Perkins what she thought of it. She'll let us know. Thanks, Maria. Good job, Maria.
0: Um... And the last part, I really like 679 too. Um I'm kind of starting in the second, second half of the paragraph. Um, he acquired uh, the, 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 what am I looking for? Yet the Son did not come to judge, but to save and to give the life He has in Himself. By rejecting grace in this life, one already judges oneself, receives according to one's works, and can even condemn oneself for all eternity by rejecting the spirit of love. And I think that's it is fascinating that Jesus didn't come to judge, he came to save, so does Jesus judge? Well, he does give us the fruits of our labor. Mm -hmm. It's really not a, you know, who am I to judge, or do not judge, yes ye be judged. Well really, it's us who are bringing the judgment and condemnation on ourselves. Jesus is just giving us what we've already done. He's really just saying, you chose this, cool, there it is, I mean so, we're gonna at the when we die and we stand before Christ at the judgment. Really, it's not Christ that's gonna be judging us; it's us. When He reveals our entire lives to us, we're gonna know what happened. We're gonna know what we did wrong. We're gonna know if we were successful in becoming saints or we were not. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be like, oh Jesus, I, well I didn't know. It's gonna be revealed to us, and we're going to go along with Jesus' judgment, because we're going to come to the same conclusion, too.
1: One well, As I said before, like the secrets of the heart will be revealed. And the thing is, I mean, don't be afraid of that. But also don't be afraid to keep asking for purification of desires, you know, purification of, like, okay, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, yeah, okay, you're probably not, you're not there yet, which none of us are. I mean, that's part of this life, and part of the challenge, and well, we have to keep working at, but that's why he gives us the sacraments and encourages us to keep moving, keep going, you know, and, and he'll provide. Um, I love to tell people that get discouraged in confession, like, ah, oh, I just keep doing the same thing. It's like, okay, well, let's think about this for a second. Where were you a year ago? Where were you five years ago? Where were you 10 years ago? I mean, heck, where were you six months ago? And sometimes, you know, it's not always obvious, like, changes that have happened um, in the last month. But if you look back on, like, where you were in college as compared to where you are now, there could be some huge changes. And it's good to kind of do that. And the beautiful thing is while you're still alive, you got a chance. You can keep going. You can get up again and keep following him. And that's like, I mean, thanks be to God, the church knows us so well. And we're given the opportunity to go to confession frequently. Um, and, you know, once again, it's like don't fall into the trap. Like, I don't need to go. I'm a good person. Don't do that. You know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm training for the Olympics, so I don't really need to train. I'm, you know, I'm a good diver. Like, well, then you're going to get blown out of the Olympics. You know, it's like you're in the Supernatural Olympics, and you're only hurting yourself and missing out on the opportunities for grace and goodness. And can you imagine looking back on your life when our Lord shows you, look at all these things I had intended for you to do. But because you were so focused on yourself, you missed out on all of this. And just to think about, like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe what I missed out on. And that in itself will be a torment. I think sometimes we, we so, like, physicalize it into, like, you know, like, the slings and arrows and, and flames of hell, we forget it's like, we're the ones creating that. It's like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge and linking it up chain by chain with all of his, uh, his selfishness and all of that. It's like, you're already doing all that, buddy. Like, you could have been using all that stuff for good. Um, and we have the same opportunities in our life. So it's like, look at what you're doing. Look, at, And I think for a lot of us, too, it's important to do the, you know, it's like with the confeder, what I've done, but also what I have failed to do. I think we fall into that trap a lot more a lot of the times. And, like, to look at the, you know, the secrets of our heart. As I said, that's all going to be revealed. It's all going to come out in the end. So do a good job of paying attention to it right now. Uh, I think that's enough
0: judgment for one day. I think so too.
1: Hey, we say that because we love you all. We're striving to be kind, and it's a lot easier one-on-one than it is to a camera to just generic. We don't know who's listening. Yeah, so generic. Yeah, we love you. So, so mom, please don't feel judged. I love you very much. Yeah, my mom too. My mom. <laughs> I know your mom. I, I think Listen. our moms are like five of our listeners. So it's yeah, I have
0: to wait to see what she says about my shirt color if I actually did a good job this it's time. It's a good. One. I like that guy um, too.
1: It's a nice one.
0: Next part is about the Holy Spirit, right? And we get the Holy Spirit for a while. We're going to definitely be talking about the Holy Spirit more next time. Um, I will say these these kind of block quotes in 683 and 684 mm-hmm. were both amazing. Yeah. I don't know if we have time to read them both unless you want to, Father. I'll, I'll let I you say go going. for it and right. let's see what we can do with the rest. I mean, that sounds good. Got it. Um, so we're talking about the, the Holy Spirit. So ultimately there's these two block quotes here that really try to give us the best understanding of the Trinity. because the As we'll read in the second quote, the Holy Spirit is the kind of the first mover in our lives of holiness, but it, he's the last person in the Trinity that is revealed, which mm-hmm. is a very interesting kind of re- dichotomy there. He's the first one that's moving in our hearts, but he's the last one that we really come to understand in Revelation, in Scripture. Um, so I'm going to read the first block code if you want to get the second one. You got it. So this is the uh, quote from where am I? St. Irenaeus in paragraph 683. Baptism gives us the grace of new birth in God the Father through His Son in the Holy Spirit. For those who bear God's Spirit are led to the Word, that is, to the Son. And the Son presents them to the Father. And the Father confers incorruptibility on them. And it is impossible to see God's Son without the Spirit. And no one can approach the Father without the Son. For the knowledge of the Father is the Son, and the knowledge of God's Son is obtained through the Holy Spirit." And I really like that because we talked about the, Holy Spirit, the Trinity quite a bit earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's several months ago that we got to the, to the Trinity. And I just thought this was a, a really good, okay, now we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Do that mental check real quick and say, okay, what is the Trinity? How does the Holy Spirit relate to the Father and the Son? And this paragraph is just a good
1: little sum up, if you can say that. Absolutely. Okay, I'll read the second block quote. This one comes from St. Gregory Nazianzus. The Old Testament proclaimed the Father clearly, but the Son more obscurely. The New Testament revealed the Son and gave us a glimpse of the divinity of the Spirit. Now the Spirit dwells among us and grants us a clearer vision of Himself. It was not prudent when the divinity of the Father had not yet been confessed to proclaim the Son openly, and when the divinity of the Son was not yet admitted to add the Holy Spirit as an extra burden. To speak somewhat daringly by advancing and progressing from glory to glory the light of the Trinity will shine in ever more brilliant rays, and it's you know it's like this gradual unfolding. It reminds me of uh, I heard a talk this past summer um, when I was at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. It was in a homily, and this priest talked about uh, like basically like journaling and like the way like you see the Holy Spirit like acting in your life. And he called it the fifth gospel. That was cute, you know, because I've also heard Acts of the Apostles called that. I've heard Isaiah called that. But you know, when you think about it, it's like okay as we talked about with all the saints, right? And cooperating with God, the spirit, you know, he's there, he's poured himself out upon us in the fullness of the spirit. We go out and the gospel continues to reach out to all the corners of the earth and, you know, throughout time. And he's, and he's there with us. We cooperate with him. And so it's like this continual, you know, bringing about of the life of God and all of these people. Um, my friend, father, David McConey wrote, wrote a, uh, like a, a, a brief history of the first 500 years of the church, which he entitled Christ Unfurled, I think. So it's like this, you know, unvi- and, and when you think about it, it's like as time continues to unfurl and we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, it's like we are cooperating with the actions of God to bring things about. And it's you know, like this gradual revelation of things, and we get to participate. I just I find that so fascinating.
0: And the interesting thing about the Holy Spirit is that we obviously hear very directly from God the Father in all the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. I mean, speaking directly through the prophets. I mean, there's a lot of times when you hear direct words of God. We hear a lot from Jesus Christ. You hear direct words from Jesus, very obviously through the Gospels. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, He's revealed in tons of different ways that you don't necessarily make the direct correlation between, oh, that was the Holy Spirit talking right there. He's always kind of moving in the background. And this is why the Holy Spirit is so amazing, but also sometimes the hardest person in the Trinity to, to grasp. I mean, when we get to 680, 688, 688 yeah, it exactly. lists it. where we see the Holy Spirit moving. And I'm just going to read these. Do because it. are us awesome. just do it. Absolutely. In the scriptures, he inspired. In tradition, to which the church followers are always timely witnesses. In the church's magisterium, which he assists. In the sacramental liturgy, through its words and symbols, in which the Holy Spirit puts us into communion with Christ. In prayer, wherein he intercedes for us. In the charisms and ministries by which the church is built up. In the signs of apostolic and missionary life in the witness of saints through whom he manifests his holiness and continues the work of salvation. So, I mean, where is the Holy Spirit not? Yeah. But you, again, you wouldn't say, oh, there he was in the magisterium. No, he's working through the magisterium.
1: But it's not as obvious as when you read Scripture and hear the Father or the Son speaking directly to us. And he's, and he's guiding all this. I mean, right back from the beginning, you know, in the Scriptures, he inspired you know, like that. Even that word, just inspiration. I mean, the indwelling of the Spirit. When you just think about the basic breakdown and etymology of that word, I mean, you look at all this. It's not like just touchy-feely, nebulous. Oh, you know. I mean, when you look at like these are some very serious things. And I'll tell you one thing. I'm reminded of this second-to-last bullet here, um, where the Holy Spirit uh, is known in the signs of apostolic and missionary life. I will tell you, I was reading that uh, Cardinal von Tuan, the Vietnamese cardinal, who I think is now venerable, uh, mm-hmm. was uh, in solitary confinement for 13 years. They had to keep changing his prison guards. he kept con- uh, converting them. But he, like, like St. Jose Maria Escriva, he wrote uh, several books, and it's kind of like the little, like, you know, sentences type things. And one, he had a whole chapter on chastity that I was reading, and it said, basically, it was like one of his most direct, because usually he's even more gentle than Jose Maria Escriva. He's like, if you are not chaste, your apostolic, worth is, apostolic work is worthless. It's like, dang. But when you look at all this, it's like you can't say... And, and this sort of goes back to like the secrets of all the hearts will be revealed. You can't say like, oh, this is a work of the Spirit. And then you're, you know, embezzling money on the side. Or there's an affair going on in the background. It's like, no. Like, okay, that's where... It's like we have to be in the perpetual act of discernment, of purification, of frequent confession. Um, and you know, it's like the Spirit moving where He will and not putting up things that block the Spirit. Uh, and, and why the Church tests things to make sure that there's nothing bad going on. Because as we know it's like religion can be used for nefarious purposes. That's not the Holy Spirit. Like We have to live our vows. We have to live virtue. We have to invite the Holy Spirit in all the time. And, you know, as the devil tests us, as we heard back in 675, 76, 77, you know, like, yes, there are trials and tribulations, but that's where we cling to Christ and know that he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to keep going.
0: And actually, as you were saying that, I feel like where a lot of people get themselves in trouble is they recognize the Spirit in one place but forget about the other places. So I really liked where it talks about in the charisms and ministries by which the church is built up, right? Yeah. Very much, I mean, very much my job, right? Working within the church, trying to view my job as this one continuous ministry and charism. But the Holy Spirit is also revealed in the sacramental liturgy. And how common do we see people working for the church and they're so focused on the work that they actually forget to enliven themselves in the sacraments as well? You need to make sure when working for the church that you see the work for what it is, but also remember you're still participating in the journey yeah. at the same time. And so making sure that we don't just say, oh, Holy Spirit is right here. Yeah. And I'm focusing on this one area right there. Well, guess what? The devil's going to work in all the other areas then if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in everything that's listed here in this paragraph 688. I, I really like 688. Oh, 688. I got to awesome. mark this one and Absolutely. come back to it more
1: often. And just to come, yeah, and especially if someone's like, well, the Spirit is telling me this, like, okay, But do you understand? It's in direct contradiction to what the magisterium has said. Therefore, the church, like the Holy Spirit, is not working here, and and that's what we have to have to be careful. And that's why we discern different things. And you know, just because our Blessed Mother appeared to Saints Francisco, Jacinta, and Servant of God Lucia and Fatima 105 years ago. Doesn't mean that she is also appearing to you know the person down the street in Lexington just because they say so. You know, it's like that's man, you have not... to pick some pick on Lexington. I that's don't know. Not... That's the town that came to my mind. No, I know. Sure. I'm just picking on you. I, I should not come with another Lexington. one. I know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah,
0: Spencer. We're gonna pick on Spencer.
1: Uh, that's Spencer. I feel like Spencer's kind of down. I don't want to kick him when he's down. <laughs> God bless Spencer. I love Spencer. Anyway, that's in our parish. Well, well yeah, Lexington's <laughs> not in our parish, so we can pick on that one. Is that I, I'm still pastor of over you know like the Spencer area. so Um, Total
0: tangent. I just was picking up. It was crazy. It's all good. Okay. So then we talk about the Holy Spirit and we're talking about the signs and symbols of the Holy Spirit and the proper names of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And this is
1: kind of more interesting. And I think we can move through these pretty quickly since we're kind of over over time here. I definitely want to focus on 692. Oh, go for it. So, you know, we get all these different titles. And I would even say, like, I don't know if we need to go through all of them. Um, If you go and look at 694 to 701, you get all these different things we know about the Holy Spirit, the different symbols of him. Water, anointing, fire, cloud and light, the seal, the hand, the finger, the dove. The you finger know, kind of threw me off. I'm like, what, yeah. a, what is this? I had to read that one twice. Well, Jesus talks about like the finger of God is among you, about, you know, and, like when he's accused of uh, you know driving out demons by the power of Beelzebul and mm-hmm. all that, so... I don't know. That that one was interesting. I'm gonna have to research that one more. All the other ones I thought made fairly, fairly sure. good sense. Or like yeah, G- your God writing on tablets of stone with his finger and on tablets of yeah. Well, I was also
0: thinking about Jesus writing in the sand with his finger. That's in true. The, and that's coming up this Sunday.
1: Yeah, I know it is. Be so great. I'm like,
0: huh, that's interesting. You know, thinking about the correlation. So there, think about the correlation this Sunday. There you go,
1: Father. Think about it for your homily. I, I will. Maybe it'll come up. I have another idea first, which I need. But anyways, six ninety two. So six ninety two. I think this is probably the most important of his titles. When he proclaims and promises the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus calls him the paraclete. Literally, he was called to one side, or advocatus. Paraclete is commonly translated by consoler, and Jesus is the first consoler. The Lord also called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. The reason I think that one's so important is because it's sort of like the opposite of the devil's title. The devil is called the accuser, like he, you know, the accuser of our brothers has been cast out, as it says in Revelation. The Holy Spirit is the advocate; he advocates for us. The Paraclete, which i are not mistaken, has like legal background too. Like it's sort of like a um, defense attorney, you know. And so, like God wants, like I think it's um in that homily for Holy Saturday, it's ancient from the second century, where it's like Jesus says to Adam, like I didn't create you to be in hell. I created you to be with me in glory for all eternity. You know, like, that's incredible. Like, God wants us to be fulfilled and happy. And I think sometimes, like, spoiled children, it's like when God is calling us to more, it's like, no, I just want to stay in bed. Like, leave me alone. Like, he's not content to leave us there. So sometimes him advocating for us can feel like, oh, this is so hard. But ultimately, it's like, because you were created with such great worth, you understand God created you to be his son and or daughter. And remember, like yesterday in the gospel, the Pharisees and scribes are offended because Jesus calls, he calls God his father. And then he tells us, when he teaches us the great prayer, to call him our father. You know, and, and obviously it's in a different way. He says to Mary Magdalene, you know, I must ascend to my father and your father, you know, and, and that, the, so yes, there's a difference. We're not the second person of the Holy Trinity. But we're created to go into that relationship to be the very children of God. And he advocates for us to make that happen. Um, He's not the accuser. The devil is the one who accuses us. So remember this. It's like shame. Shame can be a really good thing for us if it's like guardrails on the road. Like, oh man, I shouldn't do that. That would be shameful. That would really hurt me. And the devil is always trying to take those guardrails away. It's like, no, just drive off the road. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. After we go off the road, after we make the decision and give in, the devil then tries to bring shame back and beat us over the head. How could you have done that? You're so terrible. You're awful. How could you have gone along with this? Where the advocate is trying to then remove the shame. Like, my son or daughter, I love you. Just come back. Come to reconciliation. Be reconciled with me. So it's just, it's this just, you know interesting dichotomy. The devil only corrupts, God creates. And he, the advocate, wants you to be the saint you're called to be. And he will advocate for you all the way to heaven to make that happen.
0: Amen. Well, that sounds like a great place to end. And I know we're, we're skipping a couple, of but as Father talked about, you know, the symbols of the Holy Spirit, definitely go back and read that. I don't know if there's anything too in depth that we need to get into. And we're over time. So that's absolutely perfect. I think the least amount of overtime we've ever had. Yeah, five
1: minutes? Five minutes? We're doing great.
0: So next time, as always, end of April. Um, we will be doing paragraphs, we'll really start at 7.02 uh, okay, through
1: 7.50-ish, wherever, wherever, wherever as yeah. a nice stop. I mean, we're actually, it cuts it in pretty nice it spots does. for us. It's been nice. awesome, and at that point, you know, we will be, well, we won't be approaching Pentecost yet. It'll be interesting to see how it falls at that point, So we'll be a little bit into Easter, but not by much, because Easter's coming up. Uh, April 16th is the Vigil, 17th Easter Sunday. It's going to be lovely. Say it's a prayer for all of us priests, you know, we're going to... Celebrate our Lord. He's going to leave the tomb and we priests are going to crawl inside and take a nap and it'll be lovely. So that's what we do. So um, we're praying for you. Thank you so much. Uh, be sure to come to the parish mission uh, next Thursday and Friday, uh, 6.30 p.m. Uh, if you've been on campus, you know this, but just so you do know for sure, tomorrow night 5 p.m., fish fry. It's going to be great. Uh, noon stations tomorrow, 6 p.m. stations tomorrow. All kinds of good stuff happening in Sacred Heart. Thank you for your prayers, your support, and uh, let's keep Welcoming the Holy Spirit, that He may advocate for us and lead us to be saints. Fantastic. Let's close. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever
0: shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your Spirit. And Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.